we know that diets don't work. And I feel like a lot of people may know that, but mm-hmm. when, when I say diets don't work and what the research shows is, is diets means anything you're doing to try and lose weight or keep your body shape or size in a certain way, um, right. which usually for many people is trying to keep themselves in a smaller body, whether right. that's keto, whether that's avoiding sweets, whatever, right. whatever it's that almost is, always it's like taking things away and eliminating things. <laughs> yes. And we know that there's diets in disguise now. So I think mm. of a program like Noom that markets it as like yep. non-diet, like a lifestyle program. It is a diet in disguise. Like it's now just like that- my fitness pal. <laughs> like it's the same thing. Yeah. So you know, we have to also be careful because things that we might think are lifestyle, quote unquote, mm-hmm. like lifestyle programs are not. But I say all this because literally scientific research shows that diets cause more harm than good and they do not work. So what, like if we know this doesn't work and if you ask most people with a history of dieting, they'll tell you from personal mm-hmm. experience, it didn't work. And it could metabolically can cause a lot of harm. Yeah. Um, intuitive eating is like this other approach that can just leave you feeling more fulfilled, more happy, and just like more in tune with your body and its needs. And also we know from research, it's associated with health benefits. So like, it's a win-win. So why not? Welcome to the Build with Braybeck podcast where we dig deep into real, raw, and honest conversations with people that are making moves, making change, and making their own version of their very best life. And teaching you how to build the same. Covering all things health, wellness, anti-diet culture, body positivity, and so much more, here's your host, Amanda Brabeck. Hello, hello, hello. Welcome back to the Build with Brayback podcast. It's your host, Amanda Brayback. Obviously, who else would it be? Before we jump into today's episode, I just want to give a quick thank you, which definitely is not even enough um, to really cover how I'm feeling after launching the first three episodes last week. I got so many really, really kind messages friends and colleagues and family shared it on social media, shared it with friends, shared it with their colleagues, and it means the literal world. Like, I am endlessly grateful. It's really scary um, and nerve-wracking and vulnerable to put yourself out there in this way, Um, but I'm not doing it for any reason to serve myself. Um, it's because I think that women can just benefit from being open and honest and really sharing their experiences of going through life and through this crazy world, um, as a woman. So I'm glad that the first couple episodes touched you guys and I'm so glad that you took the time to listen again. It means the absolute world to me. So today's episode I am so excited to get into it. My good friend back from college, Crystal Cassio, who is a registered dietitian, intuitive eating coach, among so many other things that you can see in the description or the episode title. Um, 
we sit down and we chat all things intuitive eating. I'm the noob with my phone ringer on, so we're going to keep trucking through. Realness, right? Openness. Um, we talk all things intuitive eating, what that really means. We go through some of the misconceptions about it. We talk about mindful movement because that is also a huge part of intuitive eating. It's all about really just being more intuitive with how you're treating your body on a day-to-day basis, what you fuel your body with, how you move your body, whether it's for exercise or for your mental health or a combination of both, knowing when to take those rest days, removing the shame and the guilt from any way that you're treating your body. It's so good. It takes a while to get there, but Crystal will help you. I'm pumped, guys. I don't really have anything else to say. I will just leave a little trigger warning up top that we do um, briefly talk about eating disorders and disordered eating and um, a little bit about like body image, that kind of stuff. So if any of that might be triggering for you, it might be worth it to maybe skip this week and take a look at next week. That being said, there's nothing um, really too intense or graphic or anything like that when we do talk about those, but I do want to give people a warning um, in case they're just not in the headspace to listen to that kind of um, discussion today. All right? So without further ado, let's just get into it. I am so excited about today's podcast guest. You might know her as Renourishing Roots on Instagram, but we have known each other for 10 years, which is crazy, um, since I met this New York firecracker in my sorority at the University of New Hampshire. She has become a registered dietitian, intuitive eating counselor, and most recently a yoga teacher. She does amazing work to holistically help people heal their relationship with food, learn to love and respect their bodies, and she shares extremely mouthwatering, nourishing dishes, showing us that taking care of yourself doesn't have to be boring in the slightest. Welcome to the pod, Crystal Cassio. Thanks so much for having me. I'm so excited to be here. This is I'm I'm excited to do this with you. I can't believe we've known each other for 10 years now. Yeah. How That's old nuts. does that make you feel? I know. I know. <laughs> <laughs> because That's it feels like it was just a couple years ago, but our journey yeah. started a while ago, Crystal. It did. It did. Look <laughs> at us now. On I know. the pod. On the pod. <laughs> we have evolved. Back then, like Instagram wasn't even a thing. No, no, no. Like we were posting really embarrassing Instagram posts with like the Instagram app filters, <laughs> like the ones that would make you look like the tannest and like, yeah. Yes. Yeah. Oh, good times. Good I times. I love it. Well, like I was saying, you have done a hell of a lot since then. So why don't we just kind of dive into that? Yeah, totally. And we could totally dive into this, but I'll just keep like the overview brief. And then of course you can let me know what you want to know more about. But I initially got into, or 
taking a step back before college in high school, I experienced um, disordered eating. I likely would have been diagnosed with an eating disorder if only I got in the proper care. Mm-hmm. Um, so essentially that led me to wanting to go to college to do nutrition. As you know, on campus, I was super active with like body positivity, loving your body, mm-hmm. um, nourishing your body in, in ways that feel good. So in college, I ended up studying nutrition. And then afterwards, I did my clinical training through the Bronx VA Medical Center. Mm -hmm. And it was a coordinated program with NYU. So I got my master's at NYU in nutrition, did my clinical training. And I think what I find super fascinating is I I initially knew why I got into the field, which was to help people um, learn to nourish their bodies and heal their relationship with food. Mm -hmm. But when I did my clinical training, I think because I was working at the hospital and so entrenched in just the medical side of nutrition, I lost sight of that a bit. So that was really interesting. So that was just a couple of years ago. And I started working in the field and um, I just remember when I first started off as a dietitian, like my first two years, I didn't feel, something didn't feel right. Like the counseling mm-hmm. I was doing, I was getting referrals for people um, to help them lose weight and they weren't getting better. And like something just wasn't clicking. I'm like, I don't feel good doing this. It's not fulfilling. My yeah. patients don't seem to be feeling good. And all of a sudden, thank goodness, um, I kind of was reconnected, long story short, to the to intuitive eating and the reasons yeah. why I got into the, the nutrition field, which very much aligned with the intuitive eating approach. And thank goodness about three, three years ago now, I think, two to three years ago, um, I've really been, you know, diving into intuitive eating. I became a certified intuitive eating counselor, really taking the focus off of weight and on um, just just helping you listen to your body and learning how to honor your hunger, your fullness, your satisfaction, talking all about mindful movement and joyful movement, which I know you are like the epitome of. (laughs) Um, And then I also became a health coach in that process since we know just telling people what to do doesn't work. It's really collaborating with them and helping them set goals for themselves and explore what's important in their life, what matters. So that led me to become a health coach And then of course, just with this intuitive eating approach, like teaching people to listen to their bodies, I've always loved yoga and it just seemed like a perfect fit and just a way that I could continue to help people just become more attuned with their, their body signals. So that's just kind of a (laughs) general overview of everything. (laughs) I love it. No. And I feel like yoga is your version of your intuitive movement. Yes. I love that. Okay. Let's. There is so much to unpack, but let's strip it way back to the beginning and just dive into the nitty gritty stuff. Um, Obviously, if you're comfortable talking about kind of like your disordered eating patterns in high school, because I think like you were saying, you know, if I did sit down and talk with someone, they probably would have diagnosed me with some kind of eating disorder. And I think that there are more women than not that have had that experience um like for myself in the last like couple of years i've kind of been like reflecting back on all those patterns and at the time you kind of think like oh this is normal like this is just a normal part of like being a woman being quote unquote fit all of that and then in hindsight you're like that wasn't healthy at all (laughs) 
for my body or my mind. Yeah. So do you mind yeah. kind of talking a little bit about that? No, I think that's such a good point too, that so many people, you know, it's kind of sad that disordered eating and just having like a, like a fucked up relationship with food in your body is like a norm. Like that's yeah. actually the norm now. Yeah. It's not really the norm to like respect your body, appreciate it and nourish your body in ways that feel good to yeah. you. And, you know, tuning out all of the diet culture messages, but so yeah, that's a really good point. I think a lot of people struggle with this, but as early as, which is so sad to think about, but as early as elementary school, I will never forget. My grandma has this picture of me at, a, she used to take me to the pool two times a week. And there's this picture of me in, in my bathing suit at the pool. And I remember seeing this a couple of years ago and looking back and feeling so sad because I remember that little girl in elementary school uh, King Cone was my favorite ice cream with the chocolate on the bottom. <laughs> so good. So good. So good. And I, as early as, as early as in elementary school would go, I remember going to the snack bar at the pool, getting a King Cone and literally doing extra laps to work it off as a child, right? like just already having just a disordered relationship with food and my body that young. And Ever since then, like, it's funny, I, I don't remember, and I'm sure a lot of people can relate to just, it's hard to remember sometimes your experience in elementary school and middle school and high school. So yeah. I ended up asking my mother, um, and she is Gail. <laughs> she, <laughs> Gail she is, is a character. <laughs> a character. I wish that we could like call her in for like a cameo oh, <laughs> so everyone could experience Gail. <laughs> She would love it, but her and her thick New York accent, when I called her, I'm like, can you tell me more about what you remember with me growing up with just like disordered eating and just this unhealthy relationship to exercise? And she was like, oh, honey, it all started with that cheerleading in middle school, <laughs> which is interesting because I remember it as early as elementary school. So that just mm -hmm. goes to show you that there was, maybe it didn't come to fruition until middle school and high school, but there was already disordered thoughts going on yeah. around food and my body. Yeah. Um, and like sometimes so with like, when you're that young, you're not necessarily like being like, mom, I did all these extra laps because I ate an ice cream cone. Like you're kind of internalizing a lot of that stuff, even if you don't realize it. And yeah. I think that's definitely like a common occurrence for women. <laughs> Yeah, I don't think I talked to anyone when I was that young. And maybe that's why I remember in elementary school, my thoughts, like I remember fearing being fat and fearing mm -hmm. eating and then my body changing, gaining weight and abusing exercise that young. Like, right. even if I wasn't it's engaging so in like what, what we think of as exercise, like swimming extra laps in the pool, that that's abusing right. movement. Um so then when I started in seventh grade, I started cheerleading and I, it, they actually started, we started young with competitive cheerleading. So mm -hmm. I got, my whole life became cheerleading in middle school, high school. And I'm sure that that fed into my disordered relationship with food in my body, just because it's very appearance-based, you know, in your uniform totally. and talking about what size everyone is, right? As you're fitting your uniform with everyone, they're, they're measuring you in front of everyone. Mm -hmm. So I'm sure that played a role. And then it really got bad in high school. Like high school is when I remember 
where what you would think is disordered eating, like that typical, um, even the, the medical side of things, like that's why I said, I think if I was adequately assessed, I would have been diagnosed with anorexia because it was a lot of the textbook, like measuring foods. I lost a lot of weight. Yeah. My cheerleading coaches were concerned. Um, and I was definitely over-exercising. Like I remember coming home from cheerleading practice, which was already three hours and right. more and than I so needed. so grueling. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And doing workout videos in my room, like just so disordered. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So, and what I've explored, and I think with disordered eating and just disordered body image and eating disorders, I think a lot of things contribute to it. Like there's not this one identifiable cause in many cases. And I think mm -hmm. aside from just like society standards, like unrealistic beauty ideals, um, diet culture, just growing up where I heard like my aunts and just people, friends, family talking about yeah. food in their bodies, um, along with cheerleading. And then along with, I, I grew up in a household where there was a lot of trauma. So a lot of things that I didn't have control over. And I think I looked to food and movement as almost a way to kind of like, like have control over something in my life. Yeah. So I think that's really interesting. Too. Yeah. Yeah. And then, I mean, like you said, you didn't really seek medical attention or like counseling or anything. So what did that transition from high school into college look like? Because you kind of touched on you sort of healing that relationship as you transitioned through and deciding, you know, you wanted to do um, nutrition and that yeah. and being a dietitian. This is where too, I think I was just honestly privileged and lucky in this sense, because it was almost like I woke up one day and I, I actually think a course I took in high school, it was a food science course mm -hmm. that probably really helped where I started learning about, Oh, wait a minute. Like food is nourishment and healthy eating. Isn't measuring your cottage cheese in a fourth measuring cup. Like, Oh, I, I don't think I knew what what having a healthy relationship with food and just what healthy eating really consisted of yeah. when, when of course I was heavy and, um, you know, just experiencing my eating disorder, but I, I am really lucky because it was like one day, literally it felt this way that I just in high school that I just woke up and I was okay. Like I, I, I wouldn't say that. I think definitely throughout college, I still struggled with over-exercising or like if I missed a day, there was still that feeling of guilt or right. self-judgment mm -hmm. or fear of weight gain. So not to say that this was all, this wasn't all gone by any means, but I at least wasn't, I was nourishing my body. I started eating again. Like that was yep. the biggest thing. I was not fueling my body enough. So that resolved in high school. And then when I went to college, I would say learning more about nutrition, I was definitely like fueling my body, nourishing my body, making peace with food. But the exercise piece, I think still persisted throughout college where I was really um, engaging in just like this militant exercise, like disordered movement. <laughs> yeah. Same. Like, I feel like I can remember on like a handful, <laughs> like, um, of times of like going to like a fun workout class or like something that was like so fun it was a lot of like 
oh shit we went out last night and i drank this many drinks and i would count them and then i'd be like and then you gotta count that late night pizza slice or two or three and we're gonna go sit on the elliptical until i burned off as many calories as i consumed last night and the sick part is that it wasn't something i was hiding like this is something that like my sister did her roommate did like people all around me were doing that too so which just could be a whole other topic of conversation but i think that yeah that militant style of like nope you're going and if you don't like you're a piece of garbage and you're gonna feel really guilty about it for the next couple days you're gonna work out even harder tomorrow and it takes a while to really train your mind out of all of that you know yeah yeah and I think that's such a good example of what we were talking about a little bit earlier of how these just just this disordered like fucked up relationship with movement and our bodies and food Mm -hmm. and drinking it's it's normal like it's the norm especially we were in a sorority and like you know there's a a focus on appearance and going out and getting ready together and then the body comments and you know it's it it kind of makes sense why we felt that way you know what leads people to feeling that way like oh I have to burn this off like I drank this much I ate this you know I I have to go to the gym and burn this off yeah right I mean it's all that chatter that's always there even if the intent isn't that bad, but like now that I'm so much more aware of that kind of stuff, I notice it so much more. And like to this day, you know, you're at a family gathering and then you hear your aunts being like, oh my God, I'm so bad. I had that, that little bit of birthday cake. Oh, I can't believe it. I was so bad. Or like, you know, your friend gets engaged and she's like, I have to buy a Peloton and I have to just work out like crazy because if I don't lose X amount of pounds before this wedding, like what's the point? (laughs) And it, Yeah. yeah. So let's talk about how, maybe how you kind of started healing this and then also how you help your clients heal their relationship. We can start with movement and then kind of, make our way to intuitive eating. (laughs) Yeah. You know, I think in high school, I'll never forget it. One of my, um, one of my friends, not from high school in in college, I think it was around junior year. One of my friends was like, Hey, come to a yoga class with me. And I never did yoga before. Mm -hmm. I always went to, went to the gym and just like, did your standard. I didn't even, I don't even know what I did. Like I would just go on the elliptical or like do some weights and do like 10 reps. I was thinking about this (laughs) the other day. I was like, this is a routine that all of us really used to do. You'd go on the elliptical for however long and then you'd like go never to like the free weight section where all like the guys were. You stay like in the middle where all like the weight machines were and just like do a random myriad of those of like, you got to do the ab machine for a while. You got to do the, the abductor machine get those outer thighs <laughs> but looking back it's I wish we could I wish we could be a fly on the wall of like ourselves in the college gym like oh, just yeah. watching it. <laughs> like just so hilarious and then we'd all you go over to the mat and do your little ab exercises your little abs. you're done 
Uh, yep. That, so was, that was what I did. And it wasn't until I did yoga. I think it was like I, either junior or senior year. And I, I think that's when it hit me, like the seed planted where it was like, wait a minute, you can engage in movement that helps you with your anxiety and helps mm-hmm. you feel just mentally and emotionally better while also feeling stronger in your body and just feeling good. Like while you're doing it, helping with stiffness, muscle soreness, like pain. So I really think yoga was part of my healing journey with healing my relationship with movement. And then, um, honestly too, I think having to take a break from movement, I was forced to, because when I started my clinical, my internship to become a dietitian and my master's at NYU, I was working full-time at the hospital and I was taking night classes and I was commuting to New York city, which I live in the suburbs. So it was like an hour commute one way to NYU. So I didn't have time to move. I just Mm -hmm. didn't. And I think, I honestly think having that break really helped, like just assure me that wow, my whole life isn't going to stop or my whole appearance isn't going to change drastically if I can't move my body for a couple of weeks or even a couple of months. Like I survived and I'm okay. And it was this realization like, wow, all these fears that I had about not moving and, you know, what if I missed a day? Like they weren't accurate. They weren't rational. So it was kind of that real life experience of, you know, sometimes it's good to take a break from movement to, to heal your relationship with it. So I think that, and then reconnecting with yoga, I would say for the past couple of years, um, I enjoy other movements too, but I feel like for me, yoga has been be- been very healing. And I think mm-hmm. for everyone, there's different types of movements that could be healing for them. But for me, it just, yoga kind of helped me connect to my body and experience that joyful movement in a way that I didn't experience before. I think the only time I've experience joyful movement or mindful movement that feels good was cheerleading when we used to dance and doing like choreographed dances I'm like I love that (laughs) I know I know I mean yeah and like that really it sounds so basic but for some reason can take people and like it took us so long to kind of push through all the bs and get to that point where like you find something that like bring something out in you. And I mean, I feel like especially for people that don't really work out at all or something like that is such a good place to start. You find this one Mm -hmm. thing that like makes you feel excited. Like maybe you haven't felt like that since you were in high school on your cheerleading team. And then it can like open up the doors for so many other types of movement that maybe you always were like, that's not for me. Like same with yoga for me. For so many years, I was like, that's not a workout. You're stretching. And like, I can't do it. It's so slow. It's so boring. And I would like totally just scoff at it. And like, I have a long way to go, but I really am obsessed now because there is something of being like really connecting to your body and slowing down and taking the time to really mindfully connect to your body. That's yeah. just so different. Yeah, totally. And I think too, like even with my patients that I work with, it's it's I love asking this question when when people tell me, especially if if I'm working with someone for the first time and they'll 
you know, be quick to tell me like their new workout that they're doing. I remember just to give a real life example, this one patient was like, well, you know, I, I, I think I'm going to get a treadmill for my, my house. You know, it's going to, it'll help me move more. I'll use it. You know, I think I'm just going to order the treadmill. And I said, well, would you like, let's just take a moment and picture yourself. I'm like, what time of day would you want to go on the treadmill? She's like, oh, maybe in the morning. Like maybe it could fit in my mornings. I'm like, okay. I'm like you wake up, like you go on the treadmill. Are you liking it? <laughs> Are you enjoying it? Does, it? Like, is it making you like get hyped for the day? And she was just like, literally she started smiling. She was like, no, I would hate it. Like, that does not seem like something I would want to do. And I said, why on earth would you invest in something that you wouldn't enjoy? And I think it's, it's the norm to uh-huh. just think we have to get like a Peloton, a treadmill, yeah. a free weights, like whatever they are without taking that step back and thinking like, what do I enjoy? What maybe has made me feel good in the past with movement? Like some, some of my older patients, we might connect to, they, they might have not experienced joyful movement since they were a kid. And we just yeah. explore like what used to feel good? What are things you might be curious and experimenting with? Or have you thought about trying that you might actually enjoy? And I, I see the same thing with, and I know you feel this way too, with movement and with food. I don't care how healthy food, like certain foods are for you. If they don't taste good, you're not going to eat them long-term. It's just not going to happen. And I feel like the same thing with movement. If you don't enjoy it and it doesn't provide you with these intrinsic motivators, um, such as feeling good, mental, emotional benefits, um, reduced pain, flexibility, you know, endurance, et cetera, Mm -hmm. you know, aside from changes in weight, you're not going to do it for the long haul. If you don't enjoy it, it's not going to be sustainable. No, not at all. Okay. So let's go over kind of like, because we keep saying it, but I'm sure a lot of people are really new to the concept intuitive movement what Mm -hmm. exactly does that mean because I feel like a lot of people can kind of scoff at a a little bit kind of similar how people can to like misunderstanding um like body positivity movements like (laughs) I feel like a lot of people can be like oh well that's just you being lazy by saying like, oh, I don't want to work out. I'm not going to work out. Like when there's such a difference in listening to your body and all of that. So let's go over kind of like what it is, the different aspects of it. Yeah. And I think, um, I, I like to start by talking about what it isn't. Cause then I think mm-hmm. it helps identify what it is. So yeah. what it is not is moving in a way that your focus on external gains, whether it's changes in your weight or appearance, or um, just for like moving to hit certain metrics, like for example, number of miles you rode your bike or number of miles you ran or steps that you've taken, like any of these external things that Mm -hmm. maybe you're focusing on. And essentially it's shifting the focus to what are the in, what are the things that I'm what are the benefits I'm gaining from movement that I'm experiencing in my body? So I encourage people, and I know you have expertise in this area too, but to think about 
before, during, and after you move, like checking in with yourself, with your body, something as simple as taking a note. Okay, how am I feeling before I engage in this movement? During, how's your body feeling? Are you feeling more energized? Are you feeling like just happier? Are you having fun? Is there a sense of joy? Maybe you're coping, like you feel less stressed from the day. And then afterwards, how do you feel? And essentially what that does is it helps you tap into these intrinsic motivators for movement, which are much more powerful in helping you, you know, keep a a sustainable movement pattern for the long term versus just focused on external. A lot of people move for for these external motivators, which aren't sustainable, such as, you know, changes in our body shape or size. Right. Yeah. And I think that's so important. Like, you know, for some people, running or doing races or something like that is their thing and they love it and they have like their running buddy that they go out with and like a whole community behind it so like it makes sense okay during certain periods of your life you're gonna be going after those specific numbers because that's your training plan but if you're constantly putting pressure on yourself like post marathon training that every Saturday you have to go out and run 13 plus miles. That's not sustainable because why are you doing it still? (laughs) Yes. And I, I think too, there could be like, I think with everything in life, you know, there's, it's, everything's in a shade of gray. So even with movement, like it's okay to have these external motivators, but if you don't have those internal motivators along with it, that's where you're likely going to run into, into problems. Um, And I love how you just mentioned, I think this is such a, just like a fun point to bring up with movement, how your, your like joyful movement, movement that feels good in your body, how everyone is so different and you want to honor that. So I was just talking to a friend yesterday who was like, oh, running is so therapeutic for me. Like that 10 mile run, when I get there, it is just like, you could tell like so many intrinsic motivators are coming up. She feels good. She's like on this runner's high when I picture myself doing that, my whole, even my body language shut down as she was explaining it. I was like, oh, that sounds miserable. Like not something that would be joyful movement for me. So I think honoring, right. finding and honoring what it is for you is also like part of the journey. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think like giving yourself a little bit of grace to enjoy that journey. Like you're not going to probably love everything that you try. Like especially if you're super new to movement and exercise, it might be really scary or intimidating. And like some things are probably going to be like, "Mm, that wasn't really for me. But also kind of like what I was saying before, I think that, you know, you start to see those intrinsic motivators and like really start to feel that like buzz. And it might give you the confidence to try other things. And then maybe you feel that buzz there or you feel it from like, oh my God, I picked up heavier weights today than I did two weeks ago and I'm getting stronger or like that spin class was a little bit easier today or I ran a little bit farther than I did yesterday. And yeah, yeah. talk about intrinsic motivators, like endurance improvements, strength and, you know, improvements in your strength and your body size or shape might not change at all, but you're experiencing these, these benefits of of moving right right and it can totally change your relationship with your body because you start to appreciate it for what it can do for you which is an amazing thing 
Yeah. But okay, Absolutely. so let's bring it to the eating part of it. Intuitive eating, I feel like the verbiage can kind of get thrown around <laughs> a little bit when there actually is a method that you can become certified in. And I did buy the book and I haven't gotten very deep in it, but I did flip around a little bit and I like what I saw so far. <laughs> the Bible, the intuitive yes. eating Bible. For those who are interested, it's called Intuitive Eating, fourth edition, new one just came out. Um, Evelyn Triboli and Elise Raish are the two dietitians who founded Intuitive Eating. And it is, and now there's a lot of research to back it, which is mm -hmm. really amazing. Um, showing that intuitive eaters have, there's a lot of health benefits that have resulted from, you know, practicing in intuitive eating. Mm -hmm. um, some people will make the argument and as we'll, we'll dive deeper, but a lot of people think, oh, if you're just listening to your body, you're going to overeat all of these quote unquote unhealthy foods and just eat whatever you want, no nutritious foods. And studies actually show that intuitive eaters have lower blood cholesterol levels. They have, you know, improved metabolic markers. Um, and that's such a myth about in, intuitive eating, but that book is a great start for anyone interested in learning more. Um, and it's pretty much 10 principles, but if I had to sum it up, it's just a way for you to heal your relationship with food and, and also your body. So part of it is <laughs> this is, you know, it, it sounds, when I explain it, it sounds much easier than it is. It's really, really deep and hard work, but yeah. it's essentially starting to challenge diet culture messages. So the messages we get every day on social media, by watching TV, um, just literally billboards we pass, like there's so many ways we yeah. get exposed to this message that we have to, um, you know, when I say the word diet, it's essentially just anything from anything you're doing to try and change your body shape or size. And when we think of diet culture, it's this culture of just like, like all of these different diet programs, like keto, plant-based detox, like, oh my gosh, I could go on of all yeah. the different examples. But so essentially what intuitive eating is, it's a, it's a way to tune inwards and listen to your body because your body knows how much it wants to eat, when to stop eating. It knows what to eat to keep you healthy. And we just tend to not listen to it for a variety of reasons. So it's a process that teaches you um, how to tune into your signals. So to determine what works best for you in terms of food and nutrition. Um, you know, I think it, it, what's really cool to see is when we practice intuitive eating, you get to the point where you're able to take into account this external advice on what to eat, but in a way that still honors your intuitive wisdom. Um, so just to give some examples too, intuitive eating is really working on honoring your hunger. Like mm -hmm. I spend hours just talking with people about their hunger. Like yeah. when does it come up? How does it feel? Like reading their hunger, describing their hunger, and just the importance of honoring hunger and also honoring our fullness and satisfaction levels. Cause mm -hmm. you know, a lot of times if we eat more than our body needs consistently, it's not going to feel good. No. Like you might feel bloated. You might feel like lethargic. You might feel sleepy. And you know, it, there's when we're actually listening to the body, it, it knows what it wants and needs, but we just have to make that conscious effort to learn more about it, 
honor our hunger, honor our, our basic needs for, for nourishment. Um, and this process is just, just a really beautiful journey to, to learning how to eat and you already know how to eat. So it's just, you know, you tapping into that, that intuitive wisdom. Right. Um, I feel like for some people, as I am sure you see with clients, it probably is kind of hard to get started with that, especially if they're really not even on like the diet side of things, like maybe on like the opposite end of that spectrum, like someone that kind of grew up eating like all the tan foods all the time and like getting takeout all the time and they don't even know those cues or not familiar with those cues of like how good their body can feel on certain other foods. Not saying that they can't have those foods too sometimes, but so I feel like, do you see that ever or like how would you suggest people to kind of get to that starting point? Yeah, I do. You know, and what's interesting is that even in the people who have, you know, maybe grown up like you, like you described, like eating, you know, not as nutritious foods and just kind of not really interested in, in changing their eating. I think there's, there's things that come up in their daily life that still help motivate them to, to practice intuitive eating. So for example, mm-hmm. um, I met with one, this one patient who just kind of fit, you know, she, I remember she, she come, she came to see me and she was just like, you know, I've been eating this way forever. And like her blood levels were starting, like, I think her sugar went up a little bit and her cholesterol Mm. was up a little bit, but overall wasn't really thinking about changing her eating. But as we went throughout her day, I noticed that she wasn't eating a lot of foods that help us feel full, like Mm -hmm. fiber from, from plant foods and, um, healthy fats and like protein, like she was eating lots of carbs, but like not a lot of these other things. And, you know, I asked her how, just talking more with her about her appetite, like, how do you feel throughout the day in terms of your hunger? And she was like, I'm always hungry. Like I'm always reaching for something, which actually came up for her as like a nuisance in your, in her day. She's like, it's right. kind of frustrating. Cause I, it's like, I'm always hungry and needing to reach for something. And she might be trying to focus on work. So right. it ke- it comes in in other ways where mm-hmm. we're making improvements. Like sometimes people don't see it right away, but how um, just working on intuitive eating practice and principles can actually help them with their energy or with their, you know, feeling hungry all the time or their cravings. Like some people report to me just having like, cravings, whether at night or just throughout the day, and they're not sure how that's coming up, but they might say, you know, it's frustrating because I don't, you know, I'm in the middle of work or taking care of my kids and I'm having these cravings and it kind of interferes with my life. Mm -hmm. Um, So I feel like starting to explore more what's coming up for them throughout the day in terms of with food and eating, but also outside of that, like I remember another patient just wasn't eating enough carbs, like was just eating a lot of processed foods, but ones that were high in protein and like, wasn't really getting a lot of complex energy sustaining carbs. And I remember Mm -hmm. saying her main concern was her energy. So by actually focusing on nourishing her body, um, in a different way than she was used to, she was able to improve her energy. So I feel like sometimes we don't see these links with our concerns that are coming up in terms of our symptoms or health and and Mm -hmm. how we eat. Um, so really fascinating. 
Yeah, that is really fascinating. And I feel like a lot of those kinds of things can also be so deep rooted in just like the worlds that we live in and the messages that we've been receiving our whole lives, like how carbs are the devil and you can eat bread, but it has to be Ezekiel bread or, <laughs> and you better not eat too much of it. Or, you know, like, Ooh, you're hungry. Good for you. Like that kind of thing. So I feel like it takes a while to kind of strip back some of those messages that are kind of stuck in your head too. Yeah. Yeah. And I think something, you know, especially as I was thinking about just, just more processed foods, like canned foods, frozen foods, I just think mm -hmm. of all the people that I've worked with and just like in general, even like living in this country who like their environments quite literally, like we can't, sometimes I, when I talk about nutrition, I always like to give the disclaimer, like it's not just about individual choice because we mm -hmm. may live in an area with where there's only canned goods avail available or it's all we can afford, right? right? Like, yeah. So our, you know, food is political. And when we just think it of is. like on a level like that, like it's not all within someone's individual choice. Like there's so many things that go into how and what we eat. So I just like to say that too, just to remind us of that bigger picture. Yeah. No, I mean, I think that is a whole other can of worms that we could yeah. get into. Like, I mean, if you're a mom and you have a bunch of mouths to feed, like if yeah. you can go to the McDonald's drive through or pick up like a frozen whatever and feed your kids and they're going to be full for the night instead of like going and buying like a couple of heads of lettuce because that's all you'd be able to afford with the same amount of money and they wouldn't be very <laughs> satiated. <laughs> yes. And I, you know, I do like to say too that intuitive eating can really be a privilege. It can because mm -hmm. one of the principles that's essential to healing your relationship with food, I forget what principle number it is, but it's the principle where you make peace with food. Yeah. And this is where a lot of, I, with most of my clients, I'm working on this. Like everyone's at a different stage with where they come into intuitive eating with, like mm -hmm. you don't have to do the principles in order, but most of my clients, I would say, benefit from making peace with food. Well, what does that mean? Essentially foods that you might think of as off limits or that you avoid or that you fear, we actually, in a very systematic way, we make sure that you're eating them and you have enough yeah. of them at home. Because it's hard to, to give you an example, if, you know, one of my clients, her peace food was brownies. Like yeah. she always fell out of control with brownies. She's like, Crystal, I can't keep them Girl, in the same. house. <laughs> Feared them. So I'm like, all right, if you're open to it, we're going to make peace with brownies. And part of what you have to do is you have to keep those brownies at home and you have to have enough of them. So if you really want them, you know, you can have them because yeah. if it makes sense from a deprivation side of things, like, like with anything in life, we don't want to be told that we can't have something. Yeah. We're just going to want it more. Same thing with food. And if you're eating the brownies thinking, okay, I'm going to have them now, but then I'm like, I'm not going to buy and them I'm for done. the next week <laughs> and I'm done. You're probably going to overeat them because your poor mind and body are like, if I'm never going to get these brownies again, of course, I'm going to want to get them right, all like, in. I like, got to go I in right now. <laughs> yes. So part of making peace with food is really, truly allowing yourself all foods 
when you want them. Mm -hmm. And if you can't afford food, like some people I work with can't afford to truly practice the systematic way of making peace with food, then we meet them where they are. And it's, it's, it's nothing, you know, it's completely understandable, but I think it's, it is important to acknowledge that like intuitive eating can be a privilege because to truly make peace with food, you have to have, you have to be able to have an access to food, which for a lot of people, they, they might not be able to. Um, So really, really interesting, but yeah, making, making peace with food is a big part of intuitive eating. And I think a lot of people think, or they assume that, Mm -hmm. oh, they might hear that and then assume, oh, well, that just means like intuitive eating is just eating brownies whenever you want and how much, (laughs) however much you want. Like, oh yeah. Like, okay. But I think it's important to keep in mind that intuitive eating is not eating whatever you want, whenever you want without regard to your hunger, fullness, and satisfaction. So it doesn't mean eating those brownies and not checking in to the point where, you know, you just ate a bunch of them and you're overly full and don't feel good. It's really about checking in with yourself to really notice when is the point that I'm satisfied? When have I had enough? Can Mm -hmm. I practice stopping eating at that point? Yeah. Which is, I would imagine like kind of a hard thing to slowly unravel. Like it's really, really like rewiring your mind. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So I mean, you touched on some of them and obviously there are a lot more in that book, but basic tips that you have clients get started on. Is it like journaling, kind of like changing how they eat, where they eat? Good question. It's really individualized based on the client, but like generally yeah. speaking, I think as we've been talking about with like, there's a whole principle on movement mm-hmm. and, and just making movement enjoyable. So I think even just something as simple as thinking about what might feel good for me for movement can be a great step. Um, there's the principle respecting your body, which is like yeah. always my, my favorite to talk about. Mm-hmm. One of the tips that I recommend to like virtually anyone I work with, especially even if they're just getting started is wear comfortable clothes. Like there is nothing more of a reminder or I don't want to say a reminder, but if you're, if you're having negative body thoughts and feelings, it's probably not going to help you to wear pants that are too tight. Right. (laughs) You know what I mean? Or like a bra that, that is too tight and it doesn't fit or, you know, like wear comfortable clothes. Right. One of the best recommendations I could give. Yeah. And also it's like, when you do find that like right sports bra or those pants that like you think your butt looks so good in like your workout is going to be all the way up here and you're going to be feeling yourself and moving yeah like totally wanting to be in touch with your body i think that's a huge point too yeah yeah so that in terms of like learning to respect and appreciate your body like simple tip just wearing clothes that that make you feel good and ones you that don't make you feel good, consider getting rid of. Like right. they're not like serving why, you. Why hang on to them? Yeah. Why? Yeah. I love I it. Yeah. That's um, that's like one of my favorite things. Yeah. No, I love that so much. And I think that almost everyone, I think, could really benefit from just taking the time to slow down and 
really reflect on those things. Like even sometimes I look at, you know, my parents who are so much farther along in their journeys and like my dad is, uh, he was in the military for 25 years and he is like, it's just the way that his mind has been wired for so long. Like he is just go, go, go standard schedule. Like, and he goes so crazy with exercise to the point where I'm like, maybe check in with yourself and stretch today instead of going to the pool and swimming a million laps and then coming home and going for a bike ride. (laughs) I'm so glad that you're healthy, but in his mind, like he doesn't even see it like that at all. And I think there are so many like older adults that have just grown up without any of this kind of language being an option. Um, And like, I feel like I see it in my mom too. Like, she, I feel like spent all of her adult life kind of, you know, doing different diets, yo-yoing, different kind of movements that she kind of felt like she should be doing. And then she found this um, virtual Pilates platform and loves it and gets so excited. She'll like call me and be like, I'm on this group challenge and I met these friends on Facebook and oh my God, I took this class and I was doing this. Like, it's like the first time that I've seen her so like joyful in her exercise and her movement that like, it just warms my heart. But I'm like, you don't even realize that like, that is the goal, the intuitive movement. Yeah. And isn't it sad to think about like, I, I, people in my family come to mind right now that mm-hmm. sadly I anticipate may continue, you know, they're older adults and they are likely for the rest of their life going to be stuck in diet culture and engaging yeah. in movement. That's just like to, in an effort to keep their body shape a certain size and not really for the, these other many reasons to move and not experiencing those. And it's sad. It's really sad to see. It, it is. is. It is. I mean, I think it was like Amy Schumer or someone really recently um, in an interview or something said this one line that is so simple and so like, just makes you want to be like, duh, but like also so profound. She was like, imagine laying on your deathbed and looking back and being like, why did I waste so much time trying to fit into smaller clothes, like constantly worrying about what I looked like and what other people thought about what I looked like? Like, it's just, aren't we all too busy? (laughs) Agreed, agreed. And it makes me think of, you know, I feel like we just, you know, the holidays just passed and I could even think of just, it made made me so sad. And I feel like lucky and privileged enough to be in a place where like, I've healed my relationship with food. So this isn't triggering for me, but to hear family members saying like, I, okay, I'm just going to have this one piece of cheesecake. And then, you know, I'm going to make sure to work out tomorrow. And it's like, it's Christmas Eve, like, please enjoy, like how sad it's just, it's sad. And I think it um, is. you know, some, some people will, will never, you know, experience these things and that's okay. It just, you know, it's also a result of our society and culture and how our yeah. culture it's breeds perfect. people to yeah. think. Um, 
But I think too, something important, especially for listeners to keep in mind, and I regret not saying this earlier, but when we think of, if we think of the, we know that diets don't work. And I feel like a lot of people may know that, but mm-hmm. when, when I say diets don't work and what the research shows is, is diets means anything you're doing to try and lose weight or keep your body shape or size in a certain way, um, right. which usually for many people is trying to keep themselves in a smaller body, whether right. that's keto, whether that's avoiding sweets, whatever, right. whatever it's that almost is, always it's like taking things away and eliminating things. <laughs> yes. And we know that there's diets in disguise now. So I think mm-hmm. of a program like Noom that markets it as like yep. non-diet, like a lifestyle program. It is a diet in disguise. Like it's just like my fitness pal. Like it's the same thing. Yeah. So, you know, we have to also be careful because things that we might think are lifestyle, quote unquote, Mm -hmm. like lifestyle programs are not. But I say all this because literally scientific research shows that diets cause more harm than good and they do not work. So what like if we know this doesn't work and if you ask most people with a history of dieting they'll tell you from personal mm-hmm. experience it didn't work and it could metabolically can cause a lot of harm yeah. um intuitive eating is like this other approach that can just leave you feeling more fulfilled more happy and just like more in tune with your body and its needs and also we know from research it's associated with health benefits so like it's a win-win. So why not? Yeah. I feel like so many people continue that diet cycle, even though the patterns for themselves and everyone around them is that diets don't work, but because people like internalize it and turn the blame on themselves instead of being like, this has never worked in the history of time, but it's my fault for sure. (laughs) Isn't that interesting how people like we would never buy a product that failed us like that didn't work for us the other times that we bought it but it's interesting how we wouldn't blame ourselves right oh it's my fault that this product didn't work but we do that with with these programs we blame ourselves like it's something wrong with us that led us to not be able to follow the program like no it's probably the program. Yeah, it's for sure the program. And (laughs) like, if you can't stick with it, if you're, you know, counting everything and measuring everything, like you were saying, and, you know, avoiding different foods, like, it's not your fault that you can't sustain that. (laughs) You're a human and your body is telling you, I need more. (laughs) Yeah, pure biology, you're fighting your own beautiful biology that keeps you living and breathing and just allowing you to be here in your life. Like, yeah. It's just madness. Um, Okay. Well, for the sake of time, because like I know that the two of us could really go back and forth (laughs) for so long about this stuff. (laughs) So we might need to do a second episode, maybe like after I read the book and then we can really deep dive. Maybe we could do like a book club episode, like make every, make people read the book or ask them to, and then we can review, you know? That would be awesome. Um, But for the sake of time, do you have any podcast books, documentaries, obviously besides this intuitive eating book, 
um, or anything like that that you're currently loving. Doesn't even need to be regarding nutrition or anything. Ooh, that's a great question. Um, there's a podcast that there's a couple of podcasts um, that I really love. RD Real Talk mm-hmm. is a really good one. Mm-hmm. Um, Food Psych is a really okay. good podcast that I like listening to. She's a certified intuitive eating counselor as well. And like talks about all of, all of these things. Um, Christy Harrison's her name. She has a book called anti-diet. That's really good too. Okay. Okay. Anti-diet Christy Harrison. There is a book. I'm actually looking at my bookshelf to see if I can remember (laughs) the name. Um, It's a wonderful book, body respect, Rebecca. I'm going to butcher her last name. I could get you the name really good on like respecting and appreciating your body. Um, Last but not least, really, really good one. Self-compassion. So I forget the full name, but if you just look up self-compassion by Dr. Kristen Neff. Okay. Oh my gosh. It is so helpful for just helping you be more compassionate towards yourself, which everything we talked about is, can be helpful with self-compassion. Right. You're eating your body, your relationships with other people. I love it. Everything. All right. Well, text me the name of that other book. Once you figure it out, I'll add it to like the show notes or whatever. Um, And last but not least, hype yourself up. Where can people find you? Oh, so I'm (laughs) reading like, oh, about that. Um, CrystalCassioNutrition.com is my website. So pretty Mm -hmm. straightforward. And then I'm Renourishing Roots on, on Instagram at Renourishing Roots. I love it because you do take some uh, like one-on-one clients too, right? Yep, absolutely. I have, a, um, I work full-time for a hospital, but I do have a small private practice where I have a number of clients and I am in the near future working on something that I will likely be launching soon. A secret project, will you? Yeah, so (laughs) to be, follow follow me on Instagram to learn more. Um, But I'm hoping to launch a group program related to intuitive eating. So that's in the works. I'll be on the lookout, I'm into that. All right, I love it. Thanks for having me. Thank you literally so much, this was great. This is awesome. Do it again soon, all right. Sounds like a plan. Thank you for listening to the Build with Brabeck podcast. Stay connected on Instagram at Build with Brabeck and our website, www.buildwithbrabeck.com. Show a little love by rating and reviewing, sharing with your friends, and of course, subscribing so you don't ever miss an episode. Until next week, keep on building.